Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Um, let me move into the uh, the main teaching or the adult teaching time today, and we are going to talk about just that right there, um, because we're in this series we started last week on the kingdom of God uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be in this series up until Advent at the end of November, and if you didn't catch last week's sermon, I hope you'll go back and check that out, but We're going to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God as a concept each week as we go along. Primarily, we're going to dive into what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us about how to live out the kingdom of God. So my hope for this series is twofold. One, that we'd have a better understanding of what we mean by the kingdom of God, what it means to live in the kingdom way, uh, and also that we would find in this some resources for helping us Uh, get through our days and our weeks with where we are right now at the end of 2020. This is not going to be a theoretical uh, exercise. This is not going to be merely academic. This should be deeply practical, okay? So uh, the message of the gospel is all about entry into the kingdom of God. We are brought into a new form of community where we are prepared and determined to live without hate or anger in a fellowship that goes far beyond the demands of mere justice. And central to that is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the blueprint for this new form of community. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is a program for action. It's the action of creating shalom, which we talked about earlier in the year. Jewish scholar Pinchas Lapid says that shalom signifies peace, joy, freedom, reconciliation, community, harmony, righteousness, truth, communication, and humanity. The Sermon on the Mount is all about training us on how to be shalom creators. Uh, These are peacemaking tactics that we learn in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is how we follow the way of Jesus. Uh, We creatively make shalom by doing what he instructs us in the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, we talked earlier in the year about shalom. We talked about the cooking pot analogy, right? That the pot stands between the fire and the water. And it's the agent of peace that allows those two incompatible elements um, to interact in a constructive way, in a peaceful and constructive collaboration. That's what shalom looks like. That's what we're called to embody and live out in following Jesus's way. The Sermon on the Mount is the opposite of Christianity as like this otherworldly religion. Howard Thurman, in a a book that you have to read uh, called Jesus and the Disinherited, uh, Howard Thurman says that the way of Jesus is a technique of survival for the oppressed, which is an interesting way to put it. But it makes sense if you think about uh, the Beatitudes Uh, Jesus tells us who the kingdom of God is for. It's for the poor and the mourners and the humble and those who are hungry and thirsty for justice and the merciful and the pure and the shalom makers and those who are persecuted for doing justice work. 
Uh, and then later on in Matthew 25, Jesus says, you know, the, the kingdom of God is for those who are hungry and thirsty and who don't have any clothes and who are homeless and who are in prison, who are in sick. And the kingdom of God is for everyone who takes care of people in those conditions. Um, Mary's song in Luke 1 that we, we uh, sang last Advent and we're going to sing again, hopefully this Advent. Uh, she says that the kingdom is for slaves and for girls and for those who are hungry and for the humble and for those suffering under political occupation. Then later on in Luke 4, uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue and reads from Isaiah and says the kingdom is for the poor and the imprisoned and the blind and the oppressed. And then in Luke 6, in the Sermon on the Plain, which echoes a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the kingdom is for the poor and for the hungry, and again, for those who are weeping and mourning. Another way you can think about this, if you're familiar with Dr. King's work in Letter from Birmingham Jail, when he talks about the four steps in a direct action campaign, that third step, that very important step of self-purification, the Sermon on the Mount is a master class at self-purification. These are the steps you engage in to purify yourself from the hostile effects of the world around us, okay? But we've been taught to read the Sermon on the Mount wrong. Uh, so let me tell you a few things that the Sermon on the Mount is not. Uh, one, it's not idealism, okay? Jesus is not spouting off like high-minded ideals. That's not what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not abstraction. It's not religious abstraction. It's not legalism. It's also not something where Jesus is setting the bar so high that it's impossible to do it. Uh, some people say, well, Jesus sets it so high so that we'll just know how sinful we are and how dependent we are on his grace. Uh, we are sinful and we are dependent on his grace. But this is not the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's also not that Jesus has set the bar so high because he wants to show us that we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to do anything. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to do all those things. But again, this is not Jesus setting a bar that's unattainable for us. Jesus expects us to follow his commands in this sermon. Uh, we can live by the Sermon on the Mount. We have to live by the Sermon on the Mount if we're going to be part of the kingdom of God, if we're going to be shalom makers, if we're going to follow the way of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount lays out what the way of Jesus is, and how someone follows in it. So real quickly, there's a triad at work throughout this sermon. Uh, Jesus starts by saying, you have heard it said, and then he quotes something from Torah. And we tend to think that Jesus is contradicting Torah, although he says explicitly here that he's not. Uh, but, he's, but again, he's not contradicting Torah. Like the one we're going to read here in a second, Jesus is going to say, you have heard it said, do not murder. Jesus doesn't say, but go ahead and kill anybody. No, murder is still wrong, okay? Murder is still wrong. So Jesus is not setting aside the things he raises. He's just saying, this is traditional ethical teaching. And then Jesus problematizes that or explains the sinful nature that we have that makes it difficult. Uh, and this one he's going to say, don't be angry. It sounds like he's saying, don't be angry, but that's not the command part. This is where we get confused. The second part of the triad, we have read as Jesus commanding us to never be angry. And that sounds crazy. How can you just never be angry? That's not possible. And so we read that and we think, well, Jesus says we can't ever be angry. So obviously that's impractical teaching. We can't follow that. But we're not reading it carefully enough. It's been mistranslated for us and we need to do better. So Jesus starts with the traditional teaching. You've heard it said, 
Don't murder. Okay, don't murder. And anger is your problem. And then here's what I want you to do about it. It's that third step that we often miss where the commands actually come. So let me read this to you. In Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, You shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. Now, those verbs there, shall be, in the Greek, are not imperatives. They're not commands. They're future tense. Now, they do imply the command from the Ten Commandments from the Hebrew Bible, um, but that's not the command in this text, okay? So that's the first part. That's the traditional righteousness. You have heard it said to those in ancient times, you shall not kill. I'm not contradicting that. Still don't kill, okay? Next verse, verse 22. And I say to you, if your translation has the word but I say to you, I would encourage you just to draw a line through that because it's not a strong but there. It's more of an and. It's just a conjunction. Um, but it's it's not really an, a positive conjunction. It's just adding on. So you have heard this said in ancient times, you shall not kill. Whoever kills will be liable to judgment. And I say to you, I'm adding on, not contradicting. I say to you that everyone being angry or you might say staying angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, again, there are no imperatives. There are no commands here, which is really nice because even though Jesus says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Um, later on in Matthew twenty-three seventeen, Jesus calls people fools. So, um, it's not the case that this is where the command comes, or Jesus would be violating his own command. The command comes in the next three verses, verses 23 through 26, where Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then coming, offer your gift. Make friends quickly with your accuser. All those words you see in italics on the screen, those are the commands in this verse, in this whole section. The commands are leave, go, be reconciled, offer, make friends. Those are the commands here. The commands aren't in the other parts of the verse. So what Jesus is saying is that just not killing people is not enough. You've got this problem where you're holding on to your anger. You're staying angry. You're like Captain Ahab. You're like Jonah. You're just angry all the time. And he wants us to move beyond that. He wants us to be transformed by doing things differently. And so the commands here are like, look, make reconciliation the most important thing. Like in Jewish worship, sacrificing at the temple was the most important thing. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're on your way to the temple to sacrifice and you remember, oh, somebody's upset with me. Stop what you're doing. That's not as important as reconciling with your sister or your brother. Go take care of that first and then make your offering. Your reconciliation with your sister or your brother is more important than making the sacrifice to God. That's what Jesus says. Be reconciled. Make friends if at all possible. Do that work. And in doing that work, there's going to be transformation that takes place. Jesus is wanting transformation of us where we take our anger and we become a peacemaker, a shalom maker instead. He wants the transformation of the relationship 
between us and the other person uh, where the anger is residing in us or in them. And he hopes to transform the other person uh, into our friend. You know, that's not always going to be the case, but that's at least the hope. Uh, what Jesus wants us to do is be delivered from this cycle of sin where we hold on to anger and where we act out of anger. And that transformation process is possible because as Howard Thurman tells us, the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God resides in us. It resides in our hearts. It resides in our souls. It resides in our actions if we're willing to engage in those actions. So, the point of today, the point of this first command of Jesus is deal with your anger. Don't hold on to it. Deal with it. So how do we deal with our anger? Well, the first thing I would say is deal with it carefully. I mean, think about like oven mitts. This is hot stuff. We start. He starts off with murder. Like don't murder. And anger, he's, equ he's equating in some sense to murder um, because it is like that. So we need, to, we need to be very careful in how we deal with these feelings of anger. We need to deal with them. We need to deal with them protectively. Um, I would also say that uh, we resist the beginnings of it. Jesus wants us to start at the root. If you kill someone, then that's like, you know, step number, I don't know, 11 or whatever from the beginning of anger. He's wanting us to back all the way up and deal with the beginnings, resist the beginnings, resist the anger catching hold of us and staying with us and being going from an emotion we have to something that we're being. And then, of course, you know, dealing with anger requires appropriate outlets. Talk to someone who is safe to talk to, who will understand. Express your anger. Say what you're angry about and why. Get it out in the open. Um, you might need to run or dance or or punch a punching bag or, or you know, Mr. Rogers always say, pound that clay. Uh, I know some of us have pounded a lot of clay over the years thanks to his teachings. But yeah, we, we have to do like Find an outlet. Listen to loud rock music. That helps me a lot. Uh, or hip-hop or something like that. Find some way to release that tension. Um, and, and also engage in preventative measures. Silence is really important. Taking a break from social media is really important. There's so much going on in our world right now that will just make you angry. Uh, no matter what your uh, political affiliation is, you're probably angry right now if you're engaging with that at all. Uh, take a break. Find some silence. Find some solitude. I know for some of us, solitude has become really difficult uh, because we're cooped up with each other. But still, find some time alone, some time to yourself, uh, some time to study. Study scripture. Study other books. There are a myriad of resources on anger management. Make use of those. I mean, you'll notice here that Jesus doesn't really say how to deal with our anger. He just tells us, look, you've got to deal with your anger. You can't be carrying it around. You can't hold on to it. People that are in my kingdom, people that are following my way, they don't hold on to their anger. They deal with it in a healthy way. They deal with it in a constructive way. The way they deal with it constructs shalom for them and for the other people that they're involved with. Uh, worship can help. Worship music is usually very helpful for me when I'm feeling upset and angry about things. Taking a Sabbath, taking a break from work and relaxing, that's also a really good preventative measure. Um, prayer is a good outlet, whether that's talking to God. That's sometimes a good place to express your anger. It's just to say it out loud to God or say it silently to God or journal it, however you pray. Um, there, there are a number of ways to deal with our anger, to let it out, to acknowledge it, to honor it, to deal with it, to release it, and to have constructive outlets for it. 
Colossians 3 says it this way, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So as I said before, the Sermon on the Mount leaves open how we're to do this. We get to figure that out uh, for ourselves with the leading of the Holy Spirit, which means a few things. One, this will look differently depending on your personality. I mean, the things I just mentioned are suggestions, are ways you might go about dealing with your anger. But uh, hopefully you know or will come to know how best to deal with your own anger, what productive and constructive and shalom-making anger management looks like in your own life. Um, There's no one right way to deal with your anger. It's just a question of whether it's healthy or not healthy, whether it's constructing shalom or whether it's doing the opposite. Um, And as I said, the Holy Spirit will guide you. If you ask for help, the Spirit will give you help in doing this. And we have to ask the Spirit for help in this because this is the first command Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first step on the way of Jesus. This is the first step into the kingdom of God. It's like, look, you got to deal with your anger immediately. And it's not that anger is a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, just the opposite. Anger is like a signal that we have an opportunity to practice the kingdom of God. Uh, There are a lot of legitimate reasons to be angry. There's a lot going on in the world, in our lives, that's just frustrating and upsetting and unjust. And I would never tell you to not be angry at injustice. The question is, what do you do with your anger? How do you handle it? What actions come out of it? And if we're just responding out of anger, then we're not responding in a kingdom way. We're not representing Jesus. We're not representing ourselves well. uh, We're not representing the kingdom of God. So the basic message is don't act from anger. Deal with anger well and then act. Um, Rabbi Nathan says it this way. Anyone who hates a neighbor or does a neighbor an injustice uproots God from the world. And uh, Howard Thurman says it this way. To revile because one has been reviled. This is the real evil because it is the evil of the soul itself. We can't respond to hatred with hatred, is what Dr. King told us. It's too much of a burden. It destroys us. Thurman also says, Anyone who permits another to determine the quality of his inner life gives into the hands of the other the keys to his own destiny. If we respond out of anger then we're at the mercy of whatever and whoever makes us angry. And we're just passing along that negativity, that evil, that broken relationship, that sinfulness, and we're we're taking that harm and we're doing more harm with it. The kingdom way is to take that harm and to transform it and do good with it, to beat that sword into a plowshare. 
Um, and one specific example here is that public shaming can't be part of what we do. Uh, the Talmud tells us that public shaming is violence. Uh, our example here is, our, our good example here is Tamar. I won't go into that story in case the kids are still in the room. Uh, but in the story of Judah and Tamar, um, she is our exemplar because she, she refuses to shame him. Even when it's risking her own life, she won't out him or name him. She says, look, the man you're looking for is, is the owner of these things. And she lets him confess for himself. We don't publicly shame. And especially in this age of social media, we have to work hard to not respond in anger. We have to work hard to not shame other people in public, even people who have really upset us, um, or we might think deserve that. No one, it's not a question of what anyone deserves. It's a question of what kind of people we're going to be. And we're, we're going to be people who respond in love and respect and dignity. Because we can't ask people to treat others with dignity if we're not treating others with dignity. So we have to carry ourselves in that composed, dignified way. We're treating everyone with respect and humility. And then we can expect that from others as well. Whether or not they give it all the time is another question. So we make reconciliation our highest priority. Uh, we make and restore friends when we can. We can't always do that, but we at least avoid getting pulled into angry exchanges, especially publicly, especially online. Um, this is about being a different kind of people. This is about being people who react and engage very differently from people who are not on this way. Reacting uh, out of anger, knee-jerk reactions, that's common. That happens everywhere all the time. We can't be like that. We have to be different. And it's not easy. And it takes practice. And of course, everything is harder because it's 2020 and everything is harder. Um, and there's a lot more to be said about this. This is not the only piece of the puzzle. We're going to talk about fear. Uh, we're going to talk about hypocrisy. We're going to talk about other aspects of this in the coming weeks. Uh, but for this week, I would encourage you to spend time thinking about anger. What makes you angry? And how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it constructively? How do you deal with it that's that's not so constructively? Uh, talk to the members of your family about it. Talk to your kids about it. Uh, watch some old episodes of Mr. Rogers. He's really good at helping us do this. Find strategies and ways that help you and your loved ones deal with your anger. And make sure that you're taking in that emotion and that information in a healthy way and processing it and dealing with it in a healthy way. And that the actions you engage in are not coming from the anger, but are coming from love and are coming from a kingdom place. Okay, so that's my message for today. Let's take communion. If you've got something to eat, grab a hold of that. I have got oh, by the toast that I left myself. And as we take the bread, um, I want us to say, you know, Jesus says a lot in Matthew and the Gospels, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is drawn near. Uh, probably a good modern translation would be the kingdom of God is available. This is available to us. So one of my basic messages throughout this series is I want us to understand that the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount are available to us. This is not something we can't reach. This is not something impossible. It's not something impractical. This is very practical and very possible and very 
available. So take whatever it is you're eating and say with me, the kingdom of God is available. And then take the cup, and as we lift our glass together, this becomes the blood of Jesus. And I want us to say what Howard Thurman wrote, the kingdom of God is within. I know he didn't make that up. That's why I read it this week. The kingdom of God is within each of us. We are the citizens of the kingdom. We are the bearers of the light. We are the salt. That's right here in the Sermon on the Mount too. We carry this within us. We practice it. We put it into practice. And the kingdom comes every time we do that. So when you get angry, I'm not telling you to feel ashamed. Please don't ever feel ashamed. Shame is not productive. When you feel angry, think to yourself, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is close. The kingdom is within. And then do the work and practice and try to live out the way. And then the kingdom has come. So lift your glass and say, the kingdom is within. Let's pray. Jesus, there's so much to be angry about in our world today. So many legitimate injustices. So much hatred and misunderstanding and violence flowing around us. Lord, I don't want anyone hearing this to hear me saying, don't ever be angry and passively accept whatever comes. That is not your kingdom. Your kingdom is not passive. Your kingdom is not about rolling over. Your kingdom is about absorbing the negativity and the violence and the vitriol and transforming those things from things that are harmful into things that are life-giving, the things that are hurtful into things that are wholesome. And what I can't say everything today, there's so much more in this, there's so many more aspects, there's so many more parts that we have to put into practice really at the same time. So Lord, for anyone trying this like for the first time, I pray you would just protect them from getting frustrated early on. And for anyone saying, I can't do this, um, there's no peace, the peace is coming. I'm too afraid, Lord, heal us of our fears. Let us learn from you how to deal with our anger and how to deal with our fear, how to deal in honesty, how to deal in love, at all times, with all people. Pray that you would draw us further into your kingdom, further into your life, further into your way. Transform us. Transform our relationships. Transform our community. Make us ever more into kingdom people. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, sisters and brothers. This is the way. I love you. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, 
visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.